0: Uh, I'll be your speaker today. I'm also a board member for Utah Coalition Against Pornography. And uh, it's board members' job today to introduce the speakers. (laughs) And so I find myself in this precarious situation of kind of introducing myself um, as a speaker. So it's a little bit weird, um, but uh, I'm just so happy to be here with you. And as a board, we are thrilled with the excitement for... um, Families Against Pornography, and um, our hope and desire for each of you today is that you will come away with something to help you, yourself, your marriage, your family, your friends, um, that you will be able to do something. You'll find something useful from what you learned today to make your life better and to protect your families and, and friends. And uh, today I'll be speaking about the addiction cycle, and... Um, I was so thrilled to hear Don Hilton speak about how the brain is affected by pornography. And every year that goes by, we're learning more and more about how the brain is affected. I'm going to talk a tiny little bit about that. Um, and more, more so, what my effort is going to be to help each of you understand this addiction cycle. This addiction to a natural addiction, or what we more normally call a process addiction, is very different than um, what we would traditionally understand with substance addictions, Um, and that's where I wanted to start today. Uh, Don Hilton, in his uh, keynote address this morning, he referenced the American Society for Addiction Medicine's finding in 2011 that... Sex, that uh, substance addiction and uh, process or natural addiction travel along the same pathways in the brain. And, um, and the effects of that are astounding. Uh, and It affects the, the brain differently in some ways. For example, alcohol affects primarily the temporal lobes, which is mood. I want to show just for a moment um, what... Parts of the brain are specifically affected by pornography, so i 'm going to show you this slide, and this slide, uh, as you can see, the front the, the frontal cortex here is kind of like the command center of the brain, and that 's where we are looking forward into the future to make decisions and we can see here this left frontal lobe here that 's kind of where the logic and, and fact Part of the brain is, is governing, you know, what am I going to, how am I going to drive? What are the steps to drive? Or what do I need to, to bring tomorrow? How do I do this math problem? Things of that nature. This, this frontal lobe right here is the right frontal lobe, and that's more responsible for creativity, emotions, and relationships. This is the part of the brain that helps us to anticipate and think ahead before we speak or act. And I want you to, to notice, this brain is, uh, has been affected by pornography. And it virtually shuts that relationship center of the brain down. That's why we are finding um, in family law journals that you know over half of the divorces that are, are happening in our country today are pornography or sex, sexual acting out behavior related. The relationship center of the brain is virtually shut down, and a lot of people, when I show this slide to them, they get they get a little bit frightened, and they say, "Well, Jeff, is is that brain damage?" And I want to reinforce to each of you: this is not brain damage; it's brain effect. This neuroplasticity plasticity that uh, Dr. Don Hilton was talking about today is very real, and. Um, I love the story that uh, Don shared at the end of his speech this morning about that individual, the, uh, his family member, in his car gripping the steering wheel of, of his car. And um, what we find with individuals that, that struggle with this addiction is they manage pain differently. That reflex that most of us would normally have to reach out when we are in pain And I want you to remember this the pain in five different areas physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual, or relational. And I want you to put a star by the relational. Okay? What we notice and what we're learning, um, and over the 10 years that I've worked with clientele who have struggled with this addiction, is their reflex to reach out is very, very low. And it's because, of, it's because of this area of the brain. It's not working. And so their reflex to reach out, that's why. And I do a lot of group work down in St. George, where I'm from. And um, before every first group, I literally go out into the parking lot and I scan all the cars for individuals like Don was describing today, who were gripping their steering wheel unable to reach out for help. Because that reflex is so weakened by pornography. Now, remember, I said this is not brain damage. It's brain effect. And that's important. So I want you, to, in a, in a lot of ways, to think of this, this part of the brain. In order for a person to get better, they have to exercise that part of the brain. I'm going to show you what that looks like today. And uh, hopefully, um, you'll understand not only how this addiction cycle works, but also how to get out of it as well by the time we're done. And if I could get my time, uh, my helpers in the back there, will you please um, make sure you give me a 10-minute and a 5-minute warning, please? Thank you. Okay, so like I said, individuals that struggle with this addiction manage pain differently, particularly in those five areas, physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual, and relational and uh, particularly with men. Men are socialized to especially not know how to manage uh, emotional and relational pain very well. Uh, I love this quote by Pat Conroy. He kind of, he kind of uh, exemplifies this in kind of poetic form. He says, I could feel the tears within me, undiscovered and untouched in their inland sea. Those tears had been with me always. I thought that at birth American men are allowed just as many tears as American women. But because we are forbidden to shed them, we die long before women do, with our hearts exploding or our blood pressure rising or our livers eaten away by alcohol, because that lake of grief inside us has no outlet. We men die because our faces were not watered enough. That's getting better uh, in these days, but men are especially susceptible to this plague and addiction to pornography because they are already coming and starting off behind in their ability to manage pain emotionally and relationally. And so they're already vulnerable. And let me kind of just take a minute to describe how a person experiences this. What would normally be a, a, a normal kind of everyday experience for someone that's not addicted to this pornography it has a tendency to affect a person much more deeply. For example, a person that has a, a friend that doesn't call, they're probably going to be thinking, oh, well, you know what, they, just, they didn't call, they got busy, they forgot, it's okay. A person that is struggling with this addiction is going to be feeling on a deeper level that no one likes them, that they're just bad or totally unlovable or unlikable. Further, uh, in their performance and doing things, for example, if they do poorly on a test, they're not just going to be having this experience that, oh, I just need to study a little bit more or I need to put a little bit time, more time in the library. They're going to viscerally feel, down to their toes, so to speak, that they're just dumb or or incapable. And when norm- when all of us somehow sometimes feel that and when we get to that deep kind of like I'm hurting stage, we would have this reflex to reach out. But remember this, the effect that this, uh, this substance, this pornography does to the brain. That reflex to reach out is weakened. And so they don't. And when all of us are in pain, it's, it's a very human reflex to do anything we can to get out of pain. And so we're going to be looking for the quickest way to get out of pain. And um, the brain, and again, Dr. Hilton kind of showed us today the mechanism that that is responsible for this. The brain is geared to remember what eliminates pain or escapes pain the most effective and the most effective and quick. And so... If you think about uh, the difference here between a process addiction, which is a natural addiction, versus substance, substance addictions are things that you have to go out and get. With natural addictions, the drug is on board. So the brain is already geared to remember those and create neural pathways that are more defined on a deeper level. And so when an individual is having pain in any of those five areas, their reflex to reach out to real people is not going to be as strong if they've been exposed to pornography because of the effect that pornography immediately has on a person. Um, a, a new study just came out that said that the effect that pornography has is akin to morphine in the brain. It has a, a, that is a, a very potent drug and the brain naturally produces that and, and releases it when they're exposed. So I want to um, do a little exercise to kind of help you understand what I mean by this. So for an addict, they, um, they're exposed to pornography. The brain remembers that when they're in pain, instead of re- reaching out to real people, they reach in to that addiction. They begin thinking about sexual things before they even see them. Um, and it creates structure in the brain. And there's a little law of neuroplasticity, and it's simple. Functionalism, or what we do, equals structuralism, structure in the brain. And I want all of you to kind of experience this for just a moment. Please take a pen that you have, and I want you to uh, use some paper in front of you and just quickly sign your name with your dominant hand. <clears throat> we're not going to be collecting these after and, and uh, taking them to forge your name or after. So don't worry about that. So go ahead, just quickly sign your name with your dominant hand. Now I'd like you to use your non-dominant hand and sign it right below it. It's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? Um, I did this at home a few days ago with my kids. I have kids anywhere from 3 to 11. And um, my, my, uh, my youngest was like, or my second youngest was like, Dad, your writing looks like mine with your left hand. <laughs> and so what you just experienced is, is more refined structure in your brain. Um, Most of you with your dominant hand are able to sign your name in less than, you know, two seconds. But did you notice that it took a little bit longer with your left hand? And it probably looked a little bit more basic, didn't it? And it's not because we don't understand how to make an A or a B. We know what those look like. But the structure in the brain is so much more refined with your dominant hand. Your reflex almost without thinking when someone asks you to sign your name is to go to your dominant hand, almost without thinking. For addiction, when a person is in pain physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, or relationally, almost without thinking, their brain is reaching towards sexual stimulus, whether it's actual pornography, whether it's objectifying Um, other people in their environment, whether it's past experiences or whether it's just fantasy, any of those things will begin to release those chemicals in the brain and provide an escape from that pain. All of us in here, we all know that it's ineffective because it's just not real. But let's slow it down a little bit more. So again, when we are in pain, we have to make a a choice. Are we going to reach out to healthy resources, to other people, to a higher power, to things that we've done in our life that we know provide soothing and um, comforting feelings? Or is there going to be the reach in to the addiction? Reaching in is... Um, essentially hiding the pain. When a person goes, when a person experiences pain and reaches in, they're masking what they really feel and beginning to objectify or fantasize. Essentially what they're doing is they're reaching to fake people, counterfeit people. Our bodies, biologically, are wired to turn to people for comfort, We're human social beings. But when that reflex is weakened, the brain literally creates imaginary people. And that's what happens with this addiction. They're reaching to fake people that provide comfort and so forth, but it's, it has the effect of uh, causing a lot of shame and despair afterwards. So when that pain... And that choice, when that pain is felt and that choice is made to reach into the addiction, the preoccupation and the mismanagement of pain begins. And we move on to the next stage of this cycle with preoccupation. And individuals can stay in this preoccupied state for uh, days, weeks, or months. Um, A book called The Social Cost of Pornography found that Individuals who look at pornography infrequently actually suffer more than individuals who look at it daily. And part of that is because when a person is is not looking at it frequently or often, it's usually because they're in this preoccupied state. And that's the difference between a substance addiction and a process addiction. A lot of people who... um, you know know someone who's an alcoholic like we we would have this expectation that they drink a lot right that as the old phrase goes i'm i'm drunk by noon that they're drinking frequently and we would naturally say well this person's addicted but with pornography a person who would only be using it two or three times a year well you would say well you're not addicted But that's absolutely untrue because the difference between a substance addiction and a process addiction is very different. A person cannot look at pornography more than two or three times a year and stay in this preoccupied state because the drug is on board. It releases it through objectification, fantasy. If they're married, having sex with their spouse, and they're thinking about someone else, and they may not even be looking at pornography, because it's a reach to counterfeit people, counterfeit relationships that provides the mood alteration. And so a person can stay in this, in this preoccupied state for a long time. And the reason it's addictive and the reason it's problematic is because it hides the real pain. It prevents them from learning effective ways to manage the real pain. And then they move on to the ritual, stage of this addictive cycle and behaviorally and that's how most people have looked at this in the past behaviorally that might look like a guy who has a terrible day at work he comes home he's kind of grumpy he sits down he starts watching tv you know he can't be bothered anybody who tries to kind of like uh, connect with him or talk to him he, he can't be bothered by them he's watching tv doing trying to do something to kind of like comfort himself after having a horrendous day at work. Wife notices, and he kind of pushes her away because he just doesn't want to talk about it because he's too focused on TV. Everybody else goes to sleep, the, the hour gets late, and he's scanning through the, the TV channels or on the computer, and then soon enough he's looking at pornography. So behaviorally, there's all those things that take place. I want to introduce you to kind of more, remember the relational pain. What we see with individuals who struggle with this addiction is they have a ritual of pushing people away when they need help the most. And sometimes that can look um, kind of aggressive where there's a fight or something, but sometimes it can be as simple as masking the pain. When they're really hurting or uh, distressed about something, and someone says, hey, how are you? And they say, fine, they're hiding or masking the pain. And this isn't just to anybody that we're you know, walking around on our normal day. It's to people who should know what's going on in your life, who you should be reaching to, like family members or close friends that they mask the pain with. So that's the primary ritual pushing away the real people who can actually provide help and comfort and support when a person again because we're human social beings when those people have been those real people have been pushed away a person is very high risk for acting out and one of the most common patterns that i see i work with i work with tons of couples and a pattern has been so refined, something that I see, um, I call it a switcheroo. What happens when a guy, I work with a lot of men who are addicted to pornography. What I see is these men who are distressed the most, in, in some way or shape or form, they, essentially they kind of start a fight with their spouse when they should be talking about what's going on for them, but that reflex to do so is very weak. And so they switch it around on their wife, and all of a sudden, wife has a laundry list of everything she's doing wrong because he can't sit with the pain of what's going on in his life. And so it's it's this switcheroo that happens in virtually every couple that I've worked with that is experiencing recovery and this addiction. But that ritual is potent because one of the most difficult pains that, that humans experience is relational pain. Um, you know, It's kind of sad, but some of the studies that were done around World War II, they, they were finding, wanting to find the best ways to torture people, and they found it to be solitary confinement. People literally wither when we don't have other people. And so they're very vulnerable and susceptible to reaching out to these counterfeit relationships. And that's all acting out what this addiction is. And that is the next step in this cycle. Acting out, whether it is uh, looking at pornography, uh, masturbation, sexually acting out with others or self. And inevitably, and I've literally met with hundreds of individuals who have been addicted, one of the first things I ask them, well, how do you feel after you act out? And they always talk about how painful and shamed and despair that they feel. And uh, I didn't do so well in math um, in high school and, and so forth. But I remember that if you square something, it makes it bigger. <laughs> That's all I remembered. And I call this, it's, kind of a different, it's a different pain, though, than what kind of started the cycle. So it's pain squared. After an individual acts out, inevitably, after the high, so to speak, they are feeling pain squared. The isolation, the withdrawal is intensified. And here is the crux. This is one of the parts that I want you to remember the most. When an individual acts out and they're feeling pain squared, right, what's the first thing they say? They say, well, I don't want to do that again, right? I'm not going to do that again. And so they become hyper-focused on only this part of the cycle. And they essentially draw this line, and they say, I never want to do this again. And inevitably, what happens is they put themselves in the same position as a football team who's playing defense on the 1-yard line the whole game they're on the 1-yard line right here and that's and that's why we have individuals who you know are I've worked with individuals anywhere from uh, 8 years old up into their 80s And uh, prominent individuals in the past have said, people just get so they can't leave it alone. Because all they're doing is, well, I don't want to do this anymore. But they're not understanding this gravitational pull that's happening in their life that pushes them to that. And what I tell people is when they're in recovery... 10% 10% of, of what you're doing in recovery is learning how to prevent yourself from acting out, meaning this is some of the stuff that, you know, these um, barriers that you put up. So if you have, like, an inappropriate thought, then you think of something else, or things of that nature. But those, in and of themselves, are not enough to keep a person in long-term recovery there has to be a transition to kind of slow this cycle down and i like to say you know if this was the a river this is the waterfall right where a person kind of goes over the falls when they act out we have in order to be the safest we have to go way upstream And that's what I see that doesn't happen the most in individuals who are locked in this addictive cycle for so long. They're not going back to the first area of pain to understand what's happening in their life, how are they managing pain, where are they reaching, so that they can actually start reaching to healthy resources. Uh, Whenever I I work with an individual who just had a, a relapse or a slip, I ask them, I say, well, when was the first time that, or when did you start slipping? And as we slow their life down and understand and do a check-in about those five areas of pain, physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual, and relational, we start to unravel this story of how they started reaching in and started pushing the real people away, days, weeks, and sometimes even months Before, where they were not reaching to healthy resources or to other people as as a daily type of thing, they began hiding the pain. And a person can only endure so much pain before the a person's brain goes a path of least resistance. That there is already a super highway that takes individuals who are addicted. There's already a superhighway that takes them to pornography or sex type of stimulus in their brain when they experience pain. And it's almost like, you know, we've got a superhighway of addiction, and when a person starts recovery, they're barely starting to make a trail out of the the side of a mountain. And that's hard work. For my Eagle Scout project, um, I did about 500 feet of the Great Western Trail. And 500 feet of the Great Western Trail took us over two days to make, just cutting it right out of the side of the mountain. And it takes time. It takes effort. And if you go back to that picture of the brain, it's more than just learning or reading a book. It's exercising that part of the brain that deals with relationships, learning how to reach out. That's why 12-step groups are so effective. They're having to go and face people and learn how to manage and open up and not hide the pain. And that's truly where 90% of recovery is. For people who have long-term recovery, if they can get into this area, they will have long-term recovery. If individuals are... Still, just kind of in this, they slip. They act out. I just don't want to do that again. I need to get another filter. Um, I need to turn off the internet at ten o'clock. Um, I need to, you know, just sing a hymn or, or you know, read a, a, a memorized quotation in my mind. Those are, and I'm not minimizing the effectiveness and the helpfulness of those type of tactics, but they are not enough we have to understand the gravitational pull of what pushes a person if they get here if they're playing defense on that one yard line you know even the best defense has only about 3 plays most defenses can only hold an offense whether they're a great offense or not for for about 3 plays before they're going to break through for a touchdown and that's that's why individuals get to a point where they're you know, acting out throughout their life, where they, they can't leave it alone. They have to transition to learning how to effectively reach out with pain. And I want to show a little clip um, to, to kind of identify this. A lot of, a lot of addicts think they're Mr. Incredible. They think they have to do everything by themselves. Part of that is because they have that, uh, that part of their brain that naturally would reach out to other people is is weakened so it kind of drives this belief that they've just got to take care of this by themselves well we know that literally people who try to do this by themselves will not get better and so I kind of liken an addict sometimes to um, Mr. Incredible and if you are familiar with this story it's It's about this you know Mr. Incredible who begins leading a secret life of um living out his glory days as a as a superhero, and um he doesn't know it, but he's actually every time he's living out these glory days, he's actually um making his enemy stronger, and the enemy is unleashed in washington d c and, of course, he, he wants to go out and clean up his mess. And he wants to do it alone. So I want you to watch this. And, and near this, at the end of this clip, um, his, his wife, Elastigirl, who's always trying, stretching, trying to do anything she can, so characteristic of wives, of individuals, of men who are addicted to this. They're, so, they're trying to stretch and do everything they can to help And he tries to push her away, but he finally gets it that in order to overcome this enemy, he has to do it together. So please take a minute to watch this with me. I don't have the sound. you to wait with the kids. And I'm telling you, not a chance. You're my husband, I'm with you, for better or worse. I have to do this alone. What is this to you, playtime? No. So you can be Mr. Incredible again? No. Then what? What is it? I'm not... Not what? I'm, I'm not strong enough. Strong enough, and this will make you stronger? Yes. No. That's what this is, some sort of workout? I can't lose you again. I can't. Not again. I'm not strong. Sure. We work together. You won't have to be. I don't know what will happen. Hey, we're superheroes. What can happen? I... So there, um, again, you can see the pain that he was hiding. He was afraid he was going to lose her. Every every single in, uh, man that I visit with uh, initially in recovery are afraid of the same thing. And the first step in that recovery process is uncovering, obviously. Um, where this acting out behavior has taken them, doing a full disclosure. That's, that's an, a very essential part um, in recovery. But perhaps even the more important part is, is a, a longer process of learning how to unfold and quit hiding pain in all five of those areas. An addict has to accept, if he hides pain in any of those five areas, Inevitably, that superhighway will take over. And that is when an individual begins to slip. And that's why people say, well, this is a lifetime, recovery is lifetime. That doesn't mean there's going to be slips lifetime. It means if they're managing pain effectively, they can be uh, getting the help and support that they need without turning to their, or reaching into their addiction So, uh, I always tell people that, that pornography addiction has very little to do with sex. It really and truly deals with emotional and relational pain mismanagement. Pornography addiction has very little to do with sex. It's about pain mismanagement. And... Addicts, if they're, again, if they're going to be, and if they want long-term recovery, it's not this quick fix that, oh, I just need to get an internet filter, or I just need to get um, you know a favorite quotation memorized so I can use that. Those are helpful, but they have to start learning to reach and exercise that relational part of the brain, and they have to start that process. And because every time an, an addict who has that superhighway that goes to this addiction, they have to make that choice. Am I going to reach in to this addiction, or am I going to reach out? And here's what that reach out looks like. It's a three-step approach. First, there has to be accountability. And now, obviously, that means accountability for behaviors. Most, time, most of the time when we talk about accountability, we, we kind of envision something like when I was 12 years old doing my paper route. Um, at 6 o'clock in the morning, I, I overthrew one of the papers, and I broke the storm door uh, glass to this uh, lady's home. It nearly gave her a heart attack. And so after I threw it, you know, that natural reflex... As a twelve year old boy most inevitably feels to turn and run was definitely there. But to be accountable, I restrained that reflex and I turned and I went to the door and um, I told the told the woman who lived there that I had just broke her window and for the next two paychecks for my paper out I got to pay for it. So that's accountability for a behavior. And that's again an addict has to take accountability, and that's done through disclosure. But a, a deeper level of accountability must be reached for individuals who reach long-term recovery, where they have awareness of not only their behaviors, but also their, what's going on in their internal world, their emotions, their feelings, when they're in pain in all those five areas. Not only of themselves, but also of others, particularly those who are close to them. And that accountability is absolutely essential. Where, for example, we've got, I encourage all of you to, to check out Jill Manning's um, session today. She'll be doing, um, uh, actually, it's Dr. Skinner who's going to be talking about betrayal trauma. It's so important that an individual who has acted out and affected wife and kids develops a self of awareness of self and awareness of how others have been affected. All of that is so helpful because it, it exercises that relational center of the brain that essentially is turned off because of this addiction. All of that recovery is so important and it's a long process. Research shows for individuals who experience long-term recovery that they're engaged in that 12-step therapeutic type of approach for two to three years of constantly structuring their life to develop that accountability. The second step is intimacy. I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. I want to slow that word down, intimacy, and think of intimacy into-me-see. Meaning, uh, being with another person and and learning how to share that internal world and learning how to invite another to do the same. That's why 12 step groups and therapy groups are so essential. They're exercising that part of the brain to develop a healthy capacity for intimacy. Into me see which is so counterintuitive with addiction because addiction is all about masking and creating walls so you don't see what's really going on in my life. And so there's this very focused approach in, in opening up and developing healthy intimacy with individuals. Finally, dependence. There's a lot of... Um, uh, there's a lot of shame that kind of goes on in the addiction world. There's this word called codependence. It's In, in some ways, it's a very useful way of understanding um, people and couples who are are married and how they kind of keep this addiction alive. But remember, humans are very social beings. We are not developed or created or wired, whatever you want to say, to be alone. Every single part of us biologically, psychologically, spiritually, is literally reaching for another person. And there has to be this um, structured process of learning how to depend on others in a healthy way. The problem with this pornography addiction is the addict is depending on counterfeit people with real pain. Remember, if we slow up way down, we go back here. Recovery is all about re- regaining that normal and healthy process of interacting and getting and receiving support from others, a spouse, family, friends, higher power, in a healthy way. So this three-prong approach of developing accountability, intimacy, and dependency I like to talk of. I like to kind of call it interdependence. We're stronger together, and this is something that fits so nicely with everything that we talk about. We're always wanting families, strong families that are together, strong marriages that are together. None of us is ever wanting like um, this picture of healing to include just one person. It's one person who's part of a greater whole—a marriage or a family or a society. We're stronger together. And so we don't shame when we have the kind of like this dependence type of a thing. We learn how to have healthy dependence. And um, understanding this addiction cycle, understanding where the 90% of recovery is. I can't tell you how many guys I, I work with who come through the door, and the only thing that they've done in their recovery is get a new filter, or, oh, I just need to make sure I go to bed and not go watch TV, or I need to hide the remotes, or et cetera, et cetera. And that's all they've done for years and years. That's like playing defense on the one-yard line. Remember that. Transitioning through 12-step therapy, whatever it is, to learn how to correctly manage pain is the key to really developing a strong foundation for long-term recovery. So we have a few minutes left. I'd love to have any questions if you have any. So just raise your hand. Hi. Yes? You mentioned how essential it is to go to the 12-step program. How often does a person actually recover if they're not in a program like that? Uh, Again, what we're finding, and especially those who are in that um, recovery world, is that individuals who don't get out and go to a 12-step, go to a therapy group. They do not get better, because they. It's kind of like uh, if you don't go to the weight room and you know pump the iron, so to speak, you're not going to get stronger. If you don't go and learn how to be with people, that relational center of the brain does not grow. It doesn't learn. It's the same effect. And if that if that relational center of the brain remains weak. Their their ability to re- refrain from going down, reaching into that same addictive cycle where the superhighway lays, is inevitable. They like recovery cannot happen without coming out of hiding and learning to deal with uh, with real people. Does that make sense? Okay, great question. Yes, over here. Right. You know that's that's a with Asp- So her question was, "What are the chances um, of individuals that experience autism or Aspergers or autism spectrum disorders to recover? Because they're already um, in a in a sense disabled from connecting with other people. And so the answer is yes. It's it's a very much more structured approach because they don't have that emotional bridge. Um, to connect themselves with other people. Um, and I've worked with a few individuals. And if you'd like, you and I can spend a few minutes talking about that afterwards. Great question, though. Yes, over here. I missed the fifth of I got four of the five things. What are the five okay. things? Yes, thank you for asking. So the question was, what are the five areas of pain that individuals have a very difficult time managing with this addiction? Physical, emotional. Spiritual, sexual, and relational. Let me just briefly describe. Physical pain. Obviously, are, you, uh, are there any areas of your body that are physically hurting? Um, one of the most uh, vulnerable times for an addict when they're acting out is when they're experiencing physical pain or sick because they're the most needy. They're de- that's when a human social being is going to be turning and reaching out the most. So physical pain, emotional pain, how we're feeling emotionally, again, men are coming behind in that area because they're not conditioned socially to talk about their emotions. Spiritually, do people pour their heart out to their higher power? I can't tell you how many guys that I work with that, you know, I say, well, you had a slip, like, you know, you you failed this test, or you, you know, did poorly on a project at work, and you were really hurting, you were hurting so much you felt it in your stomach. Um... When did you reach out to your higher power and say, you know, higher power, I'm so sad that I did this. Most of them say, no, I didn't. Again, because that relational part of their brain is shut off. They're not reaching out, and they're not pouring their heart out about that. So they're essentially spiritually cut off. Sexually, they're experiencing pain because they're objectifying or fantasizing about other people, and that's when they're harming themselves, or the, when they're, they're harming themselves when they do that, because they're breaking their own moral code that says, we don't use and abuse other people." And that's a form of sexual pain. And relational, that ritual, like I talked about, the, that ritual of pushing people away. that's a form of pain, because when we're in pain, we need people to come closer. we need to go closer to them. If they move further away. That's the definition of pain. So those are the five areas. Great question. Please. How do you help a young man to express his feelings and to be willing to talk about it? I don't I try to send my son to account. like, I cannot talk to anybody about this stuff. I can't talk to anybody about anything. Great question. So her her question was uh focused on adolescence and how how do we help adolescents, how do we help you know younger children? to talk about what, what they're feeling. And the, uh, the answer to that, and I uh, last UCAP conference I did a presentation about this. Um, the answer is, are you modeling it yourself? And, and are you validating it when it happens? Um, for example, the other day, um, my daughter has horse riding lessons. And she's 11 years old. And it was canceled because the horse was injured. And kids, they're, they're not refined in hiding their emotions. And adolescents aren't either. They get, they get a little bit better as they grow. But she kind of stamped her foot, and she got this really sad look. And that's where I can use modeling. And I said, um, you're really sad that you don't get to go to horse lessons today. And she's like, yeah. And kids need to know that their emotions are okay, especially you know, if, if in, a, in a family because they want acceptance. And so then I said, I remember one time when I, I never had horse lessons, Megan, but I remember one time when I had a baseball game that I was looking forward to and it got rained out and I was so sad. I felt probably like you're feeling. So we validate because we can see that they're feeling one way or another and then we kind of make it safe by saying, well, oh, I've, I've been through something just like that. And daily repetitive I call it kind of like this this one-two punch that parents can kind of do where, one, we validate, and then we relate. And that teaches emotional intelligence. It also teaches, going back to that uh, three-prong approach, it, it, it teaches intimacy and healthy dependence, which are protective factors against count, developing counterfeit relationships. So great question. Thank you for asking. Okay. Um, I've, I've been... Okay, one last question here at the back. So so basically what happens is, uh, a person experiences pain, and if they get exposed to pornography, uh, Pamela Atkinson showed, told, told us today the average age of exposure is 11. Some studies are showing it's even younger. I, I read a, uh, kids are even looking at uh, iPads and so forth, My three-year-old knows more tricks on my iPad than I do. Um, So sometimes the age of exposure can be even younger. So if kids that are exposed to that pornography or something like that, it stimulates their brain, they remember it. And so it's harder and harder to reach out to real people because the brain remembers what gives the, the quickest reinforcement. And so in many ways, it's not a chicken or the egg question. It's If that person's exposed, the brain is already geared to remember what brings the pain away the quickest. And so it goes, it goes down that superhighway whenever the pain is experienced. And it just reinforces, uh, and those, the structure in the brain is refined more and more. So great question. Thank you. Okay, I'm out of time. Thank you so much again on behalf of the board for being here. Thank you.